0: Good morning, um, so you may remember that uh, back in September, um, we had an invitation to join the Walk of Compassion with the Pregnancy Clinic here in Ojai. Um and I don't know that all of our congregation knows much about the ministry here in Ohio um, through the Pregnancy Clinic and what they do. So. Um, we have been given a special invitation on February 12th, um, a couple Saturdays away, at 10 a.m. to um, go and learn more about um, what the pregnancy clinic does in our own community. We can take a tour of the facility. They have an ultrasound machine. They have a room full of clothing for families and babies, um, diapers. They have all kinds of supplies to come alongside women and their families um, and to learn how to be better equipped to pray um, for the women and the families in our community. Um, We're going to have coffee and donuts. Um, We're going to walk around, learn more. And I just wanted to read a short um, part from their most recent newsletter. Um, And anyone can sign up to get on their mailing list for the newsletter. Um, Just a reminder of what they do and and why we want to come alongside them. Um, In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things came to be through him. And this, and without him, nothing came to be. What came to be through him was life, and this life was the light of the human race. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. It's from John 1 through 5. Life Choices was founded 42 years ago in 1980 as a Christian-based clinic. Today, Life Choices is proud to partner with 12 Christian organizations, which include churches, schools, and service groups of all denominations. The mission of Life Choices is to honor God by promoting the innate value of each human life. In so doing, we are a light that shines in the darkness in a culture of death. However, darkness has not overcome us, and we shine brightly. And it lists some of the things they do, which um, we'll find out when we go. So we'd love to see you there. Please, please join us if you're able. Um, Again, February 12th at 10 a.m., and um what's the address on the slide? Okay, great. Thank you.
1: Good morning. Um wanted to just give you an update on women's ministry things that are happening. Um so for the Bible studies, there's um an old one that stopped, that's starting. (laughs) So so Monday mornings, 10 a.m., February 7th, there'll be a... Uh, more of a social get-together. And then on February 14th, this is uh, Monday mornings, 10 a.m. here, they will be starting a study uh, based on a book, um, Learning to Live and Love Like Jesus. So that's Monday mornings, if you'd like to join that. So the other ones that are continuing or that are coming up are Monday evenings, beginning... Um, February 7th <laughs> uh, Thursday evenings beginning February 3rd which is this week right it's always almost February 630 and the Tuesdays at 2 on zoom uh, are continuing with studying Ezra and Nehemiah so these are all online please check them for more details get a hold of me or if you know uh, other women in these studies just let us know and and we'll let you know the the More details, where, when, how long, uh, anything else that you'd like to know about it. Just one other thing is the uh, book club is coming up February 19th, Gentle and Lowly by Dane Ortlund. Um, Get the book, read it. It's great. Uh, it's a really good book, and um, that's February 19th, 10 a.m. here at The Well. And I just do want to say that, you know, women have a unique role of um, connecting with each other and encouraging one another. So this, these are just opportunities to do that. Um, And that we will be planning, we're kind of planning more events, uh, informal events, maybe even bringing back the workshops again this summer. So if you'd like to be involved with that, please let me know, or Katie Walker, know that you'd like to kind of just come alongside and, and help us in some way. If you'd like to do that, we'd love to have you be part of that. Thanks.
2: Thank you, Kathy. Boy, guys, don't isn't aren't you a little jealous? Like really, I mean, just listen to all these things that these ladies do. It's awesome. I mean just the the leadership and so cool. So um, thank you for that, Kathy. So I just want to remind everybody that uh, the contribution statements, they'll be available in person up here after service today. I think maybe for the last week, if you want to get it by email, uh, there's the information up there. You can just email us and we'll send it to you as well. And um, I'm just going to pray for uh, Richie as he comes up. So Lord, thank you so much uh, for your word. You have given us like Aubrey read, uh, the truth, the truth in Jesus and the truth in your word. And so we, right now, Lord, just open our hearts and our minds to hear from you, from your word, and Holy Spirit quicken that word in our hearts, in our lives. Amen. Amen.
3: Thank you, Mark. Well, good morning again. It's good to see everyone. Yes, again. When I was in a youth ministry, we would sometimes do these icebreakers, and they would be called "Would You Rather," right? Just to kind of fun, get the kids to think a little bit, get them to participate. And they, you know, they had different topics like, you know, "Would you rather be a Superman or Batman?" Right? Would you? Would you rather be, uh, you know, very wealthy with with no friends, or very poor with a ton of friends? And like, right? Some of you, right? This works at the adult level too. Kids like, oh, wow. I don't know, right? And, and uh, there's this one would you rather that, that I was thinking of that, that I think really fits well with, with what we're going to speak to today in Philippians. is. Would you rather be a thermometer or a thermostat? You think about that, a thermometer or a thermostat, right? Because then you have to say, well, well let's, let's explore that a little bit before I answer because I need to know what you're talking about. And, and really, let's define them. So, so, you know, a thermometer, what does it do? It, it reflects the temperature, essentially, right? A thermometer is designed to tell you the temperature in the room. Let's say, what does a thermostat do? Changes it. A thermostat can change the temperature in a room, right? And it, it, it's really interesting, right? Yeah, because we got the warm side over here and we got the <laughs> the cool side over here, right? You know, and 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 so this it's interesting. Would you rather be a thermometer or a thermostat? Because in Philippians, really, we are presented with the choice and even the command to be thermostats. But it's interesting because we're called to be thermostats by what we don't do in, these, in this passage. And so we're going we're gonna to jump right into it. And then we'll start in Philippians two, twelve, and 13 because it lays a really good foundation for moving forward into 14 and 15. So again, Philippians 2, uh, 12, and 13, the Apostle Paul writing to Christians in the city of Philippi. He says, therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now not only as in my presence but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Again, uh, the dual aspect of those verses is our responsibility to continue our sanctification process, work it out like a math problem to conclusion, which is be more like Jesus, right? But also in verse 13, it's God. We have this supernatural relationship with the God of the universe and the indwelling third person of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit, changing our desires and then empowering us to live a supernatural life. And we shared last Sunday that it is that supernatural component that I think the world really wants to see. And in fact, the world really needs to see. You know, I would hope, and I would hope in my own life, not just as a pastor, but in your life as believers, that something in my life, when a a non-believer looks at my life as a follower of Jesus, something in there piques their interest in a supernatural way. Like those that used to know, you're like, you're different. And then you give glory to God, right? And we asked the question last Sunday, is there something in your life where the non-believing world would look at you and say, man, there's a supernatural component. Maybe it's your joy. Maybe it's the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, all of that. Maybe you're exuding this fruit of the Spirit in the people at, at work, and maybe they won't even say it, but they're like, hey, well, what got up into so-and-so? Uh, I don't know, I heard he was going to church. You know? They, they, t- they try to figure it out. And so the question is, what in your life and in my life is a non-believing community sing because according to verse 13, it's God. Everyone say God. God who works in you to will, which means gives you desires, godly desires, and to do. To live in such a way that the world would go, I want that. That is attractive. Who is this Jesus? Is that still relevant? I thought that was just myth and legend. And I thought you guys were, you know, were just bunch of religious people, but man, your life is radically changed. Even the way you talk to me, you know, or your tone or whatever, the simplest things. And so we have this mandate to work out our salvation, to work, you know, to work it out to be more like Jesus every single day in the power of the Holy Spirit. And then in verse uh, 14 and 15, he gives us two very powerful ways to do this that are actually supernatural and would create would allow us to be thermostats right so verse 14 and 15 says do all things without grumbling or disputing that you may be blameless and innocent children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation among whom you shine as lights in the world how many here want to want would like it some way to say i want my life to be a testimony i would like i would like to shine i would like to I would like to make a difference. I'd like to even to be a thermostat, right? Well, according to verse 14, there's two things that you shouldn't be doing, and if you don't do these things, you will shine. It says do all things, okay, put that uh, verse back up. Do all things without grumbling. And what say all? Right, and we looked at this. This is the this is the first part, two fourteen a. Do all things without grumbling, without exception. Now, why is this very relevant for today? In fact, we're going to look into. We're just going to move one, actually two words, but one big word forward. So, grumbling. Do all things without grumbling or disputing. Now, why is this incredibly relevant and incredibly powerful? Because we live in a grumbling and disputing culture right now. Right. Some of the social media platforms, you might as well just call them the grumblers and the disputers, because you flip it on, that's what you get. And it's become so normative that it's come into the church, right? Now Now what has happened is we've elevated everything to this is what I think, this is what I feel, this is what I opine, this is what I want to tell you. And our world has just become a mess of grumbling and disputing. And if we're not careful, it's come into the church. If you're not careful, it affects your demeanor. How many of you literally, literally have gone onto social media or the internet or something, and you know without a fact it has affected your emotional and mental joy, right? You're just like, oh my gosh, right? Or you read something, and you want to become a keyboard warrior too, right? We're real brave behind the keyboards, right? Black belts and grumbling and disputing because it's all keyboard. And yet, look at this. We're talking about a supernatural life. Look what it says in verse 214 again, and do all things, i would say all things, all things. Without, without grumbling or disputing. Okay, now this is your private moment. Just quick eval for the last seven days. How'd you do? That kill, that all, all, like all in the Greek means all, okay, right? Without exception, no exception. Like you're, you, you, this is one of those verses, if you're not careful, you just go, ah, yeah, and you just keep moving on. But if you like put the brakes and you're like, do all things, you're like, how is that even possible? Is, is that even possible? See, and right away, if you stop long enough, you you say, how is that to is that, you you recognize you go back to verse 13. It's God who will change your desire not to grumble, who will change your desire not to dispute, and then God will enable you to do that, amen? Yes, it's supernatural, and that's why the world would take notice, because believe it or not, some of us, I'll just use me. There's people who maybe see me, and I don't even know it because I'm so blind, right? It's easy to see grumbling and disputing in others. such a grumbler, such a complainer, right? One of those things that we're blind to, like, wouldn't it be pretty humbling to ask our neighbors, co-workers, friends, family members, hey, how is Bill doing the grumbling and disputing department? Right? Kind of like a self-check, but then you ask your closest ones around you who listen to you all the time when you don't think they're listening right and so for you to supernaturally begin the process of change those same people who know you and hear you and have already pegged you as a grumbler and disputer if you even make progress they're gonna know- they're gonna because right now honestly there's people in my life maybe your life that they pegged you you're a grumbler and you're a disputer that's what you're known for And if you as a believer want to make a powerful testimony to the reality of God, just start doing this. Just begin the process, and they will notice. Those closest to you will probably be the first to notice because they already take for granted. You know, they've kind of pegged you, right? And so we saw last week what is grumbling. Grumbling, you know, it's it's a heart issue. It's a heart issue that God takes very seriously. Why? Because as John Blumen says this, grumbling complaints directly or indirectly declare that God is not sufficiently good, faithful, loving, wise, powerful, or competent. Otherwise, he would treat us better or run the universe more effectively. Faithless complaining is sinful because it accuses God of doing wrong. And so it's powerful, right? And I encourage if you missed it last Sunday, go back and really look at what biblical grumbling is. Biblical grumbling is such a serious offense as a believer. Remember, Paul's writing to believers because as a believer, I am now accusing the God that we say is good all the time of not being good all the time. Because we talked about last Sunday, if God is good and all the time, then we're not allowed to grumble because whatever he allows in my life is still coming out of his goodness. I may not like it. It may be tough to go through, but I'm not to grumble, which means to accuse his nature, accuse his competence, right? Say, hey, you know what? You don't know what you're doing, right? That's grumbling. What we do instead is we're allowed biblically to groan, right, or lament. Groaning and lamenting, we talked about the Psalms of lament. They're one third of the Psalms. Right? What is it? When you're going through a very difficult situation in life, biblically, it's okay to express sorrow. It's okay to express confusion and even anger and just like the the rawness of your human emotion. You know, permission to be human, but what groaning, biblical groaning and biblical lamenting has at its core is an unfailing trust in God, an unfailing confidence in God. Right, we talked about like Psalm thirteen. There's a if you look at the Psalms of lament, there's generally a format where they'll they'll cry out to God. They'll say what the issue is, right? But at the end, there's an expression. But I trust you. But I trust you. Right? But I'm still confident in you. And so, as we you know take the lap of life the next seven days, it's okay. Things happen. For you to groan, lament, express what you're feeling to God. As long as it's rooted in, but I still trust you. But you are still God and I'm still confident in you. You are still my rock. You are still my salvation, right? You can do that. In fact, it's, it, it's funny. Sometimes, you know, I'm up here preaching and then things happen in my life. And I'm like, mm-hmm. remember what you said last Sunday. And so even this past week, you know, Monday, first three, first three days of this past week went through a very challenging time and I was reminding myself of what I preached on Sunday. It's like, all right, man, you can groan, you can lament, just don't cross that line into grumbling. And you know, it, it was, it was a bit of a valley, but it was okay because even for me, I understood how to walk this three days biblically and it was fine, but I know me too. And it would have been real quick to say, How could you, God? Don't you see God? That's not fair, God. Right? All of, those, all of those things that come out of our mouth and really out of our heart when we slide into grumbling, because now we're questioning the character and the love of God. Okay? And so today we're gonna we're gonna move forward past grumbling. Just again, two words. Philippians two fourteen and fifteen or two fourteen. Do all things without grumbling or disputing okay, or disputing. Jordan put that word—the one up, do all things without grumbling, or disputing, okay? It's an interesting word because that word disputing in the Greek is actually where we get the word dialogue, okay? And there's a positive side to, to dispute, to dialogue. It's reasoning, thinking through something, considering carefully, right, for those analytics in the room, right? There's a positive side to thinking things through, right? But it's interesting that this word in the New Testament is chiefly used in a negative sense, chiefly used. And really, in the negative sense, it means doubt, dispute, argue, questioning what is true, kind of an arrogant attitude that you know what's right, okay? And so in the New Testament, we see many times where these words are used sort of in a negative sense, Luke 5, 22. When Jesus perceived their thoughts, okay, that's the word, he answered them, why do you question in your hearts? Luke 9 46. An argument arose among them as to which of them was the greatest. So thoughts is the same Greek word, arguments the same Greek word. Luke twenty-four thirty-eight. And he said to them, Why are you troubled and why do doubts arise in your hearts? Again, same word. So you get thoughts, argument, doubts. So chiefly in the New Testament, this idea of disputing, of arguing, Doubting, questioning, it's 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 a negative way because it's really it's negative in the sense it's coming from a heart issue. A heart issue that's self centered. John MacArthur says this Whereas grumbling is essentially emotional, disputing is essentially intellectual. A person who continues to murmur and grumble against God will eventually argue and dispute with him. So they're related. I don't like this, I don't like this, I don't like this. And suddenly it's like, why? Now you're going to start questioning everything. So you link the emotional and the intellectual. And I like that distinction too, because some of us maybe aren't as emotionally wired, but oh boy, you want to debate. You want to go there intellectually, and you want to discuss, and you want to, you know, and we can get caught up, not necessarily in the emotion, but even in the intellectual side of it. And you have to be very careful. Now, this does not mean, very important, doesn't mean you can't have honest discussion. Doesn't mean you can't even have honest, even debate, if you want to call it that, right? Have opposing points of view. But when you do that in a healthy, positive way, you're coming at it with a heart of humility. You're coming at it with a heart that says, let's do, let's learn together. Let's submit first and foremost to God's word together together. So we're on opposing sides right now, let's work it out, let's love one another, let's speak the truth in love, but it, it, it's not this arrogance like, I'm right and you're wrong right off the bat, right? That's what they're talking about as far as disputing, it's a heart issue, it's an attitude. It's the heart and attitude where we, where we come with questions, but it's really challenges, It's really actually even statements. You ever have someone ask you a question? Like I'll do this sometimes, people, even my kids or someone. They'll ask me a question, I'll say, was that a question or a statement? You ever have have anyone ask you a question but you really knew they were trying to make a point? And you're like, I think that was a statement, right? It's it's a heart issue. It's a heart issue and, and it's really coming from this disputing is coming from this place of challenge. It's challenging authority. It's, it's my will, and I'm really not, I'm, I'm challenging, right? I want to argue, I want to debate, right? So one way that I came across that that really helps us understand uh, vertically what, what grumbling and disputing are about at the heart level, grumbling says, I deserve better. Disputing says, I know better. So some of us, and we're talking vertically right now, starting with our relationship with the Lord. Some of us might be struggling in our walk, in our sanctification, because we think we deserve better, and we think we know better. And that's, that's, that's hanging us up right now. And it's, it's stirring us, and it's, it's spinning us, and it's affecting maybe even our relationships in our house. It's affecting our worldview. It's affecting other relationships, because, mm, God, I deserve better than this. Well, God, you know what? I know better. Okay, and 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 it's really interesting because in years of ministry, sometimes I've had people even come to me and ask me questions. But it, but after a while, I, re, I I there's a phrase I came across, and and I like the phrase. It's called insincere questions. I've had people come up and and want to dialogue, debate, whatever you want to call it, discuss things about Christianity, or even in their walk. And they ask me questions, then I give an answer, and then ask another question, I give another answer, and pretty soon it becomes obvious, they don't want an answer. I call it insincere questioning. They'll start kind of sounding like real sincere. Hey, hey, what do, we th- what do you think about? And then I'll answer, and then they'll go, but what about? And pretty soon they keep saying, but what about? And I realize they have an agenda, and they already have thought through this, and they're not submitted, and they don't really wanna know what God's word says, what they're trying to tell me is that my opinion is wrong. But they wanna say you're wrong, what they wanna do is just say, but what about, but what about, but what, what but what about, and it's a never-ending loop, and they wanna dispute and argue because they think already they're right. See, they're not. They're, their heart isn't humbled, they're not being teachable. They're coming with a hidden agenda hidden behind what initially sounds like reasonable, honest questions. But after a while, you realize, you know what? And so before, I would take the bait, and we would just start going at it. Debate, debate, debate. And you want to come over to the top, and you want da 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 da, 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 da yeah. right? And so pretty soon, you know where they're going to come, so you already got yours, and you're already two questions ahead, and you're, right. you're not even listening anymore. And it's like, because I'm going to win the debate. I'm going to win this dispute, but now, when I discern what's going on, I don't even take the bait. I don't take the bait. And I'll say, "Hey, you know what? Honestly, sounds like you got your mind made up. If you ever really want to look at it, and da, da, da. but I'm not going to argue with you because I'm not going to change your mind. I'm not going to change. You didn't come here to have your mind changed, right? It's an issue of the heart. Years ago, there was a, a gentleman named Josh McDowell, and Josh McDowell was a uh, Christian apologist, and he would go on college campuses and speak and debate with college students about, most of, most of it about is the deity of Jesus and the Messiahship of Jesus, that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the Living God. And this one uh, atheist student came up to him years ago. He tells a story, and there, he starts talking about Jesus and da-da-da, and he asks, point blank, he asks his student, he goes, okay, time out, if I can... Prove to you, if I can show you beyond a reasonable doubt that Jesus is God and is the Messiah, would you believe? And this college student says, no. And so Josh McDowell says, so the issue isn't here, it's here. It was a heart issue. Masquerading behind intellectual debate. So this this is a heart issue. And sometimes, honestly, guys, We have to be real with ourselves. If you're disputing and arguing with God about something in your life, is it a hard issue? I mean, scriptures, for the most part, are pretty straightforward in the translations. It's not like it takes a lot to know what it says. But sometimes a deflection, sometimes a way to avoid obedience and avoid a tough subject, is we just go into dispute and doubt and question mode. When we know deep down what the answer is. But we also know that disputing, questioning, debating, all of that, it's just an endless loop. And we can just kind of keep that plate spinning in question mark land for as long as we want. But the real issue is we never really wanted it to be resolved because it was a heart issue, okay? So just, just take time to go, okay, Lord, are there areas in my life where I'm I'm questioning, but the the questioning is because I'm not trusting or I'm questioning because I'm just being a rebel in this area, okay? A couple other examples in the Bible where, where people slid into uh, disputing and arguing and questioning, and I thought, well, how does that happen, right? And I thought of Job, right? Now, you know the story of Job, righteous man, godliest man around, right? And God allows tremendous suffering to come into his life, right? He loses all his kids, loses all of his property, but, he, but initially he handles it really well. Job one twenty one, right? After he loses his kids and property, this is what he says. And he said, naked I come from my mother's womb, and naked shall I return. The Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And all this, Job did not sin or charge God with wrong. Woo, That's a response. I mean, he lost all his kids and all his property. Just boom, tragedy, and yet that's how he responds, right? So then what comes next? What comes next is he's allowed to be afflicted with sores from the bottom of his feet to the top of his head. Just brutal physical ailment, right? And yet, look at his response. His response, Job 2. Then his wife said to him, do you still hold fast your integrity? Curse God and die. But he said to her, You speak as one of the foolish women would speak. Shall we receive good from God, and shall we not receive evil? In all this, Job did not sin with his lips. Woohoo! Another home-run response, right? And you think, wow, Job's, Job's, Job's got this, man. He's not grumbling. He's not disputing. Horrific things have been allowed into his life. And, man... But then something happens. Something happens. And, and you don't get a lot of it. But what, what's, what's fascinating, right? So in Job 2, 9, and 10, he just says that. But then in Job 3, it opens with this. Job 3, verses 1, 2, and 3. After this, Job opened his mouth and cursed the day of his birth. And Job said, let the day perish on which I was born. And the night that said a man is conceived. So something happens. Between chapter 2 and chapter 3, because in chapter 2, he's like, you know what? Wife, no, no, God's still good. I trust him. And John, Job 3 is like, curse the day I was born. It's Like, what happened? Whoa, radical shift, right? Well, we don't get a lot of it, but what we do know, sometime between the end of Job 2 and the beginning of Job 3, it says that his friends... Heard about it. They traveled to come to him, and they sat with him for seven days and just sat in silence, right? Kind of all that it says. And then suddenly Job 3 explodes with him cursing the day he was born. Like, whoa, what happened to Job? And many believe what happened was the suffering just kept on and on and on. We don't know. We know what, what we do know in terms of quantity is that his, his by the time his friends got there, they sat with him in silence for seven days. But we don't know how long it took them to get there. We don't know how long he had been afflicted. And so I was thinking, I was like, you know what? I get that. Sometimes something happens in our life, and because we were solid and we have people around us, we respond well. But what happens when the thing doesn't get fixed in our timeline? Anyone ever had this, okay, Lord, I'm ready for this to be over? Anyone? Can this be over now? I think I learned my lesson, right? And so what happens? We started strong. We were there. We were reading scripture. We were worshiping. We were still coming to church. And it goes on and on and on, and then suddenly we start to despair, and then we start to go, I don't know, you know, and the thing with Job is, then he brought in people around him, and like, you know, Job, the problem is you, there must be sins, right, so depending on who we're listening to, now we're getting false information, and it all adds up to us going down the rabbit hole, and yet what happened? We started really strong, and I think maybe, maybe, There might be someone here who will listen to this online, maybe live stream, and you started well, but something in your life has just been going on, and on, and on, and I don't know about you, but sometimes I put this weird timeline on things, like, oh, yeah, I'll be over this in a week. Or, oh yeah, this will pass, I'll, I'll give it about a month. I don't know why I create these timelines, maybe just to help me feel better, but I make these like artificial timelines with no basis for them. And then when they come and go, I'm like, I get, I get more torqued and then I'm like, well, Richie, who said this would only be a week? Who said? And then you, you have to grapple with, what if it doesn't ever get resolved you see, one of the reasons we can slide into grumbling or disputing is because a trial, a tribulation, something we're going through is not seemingly going away. Whew. And then what happens is you are stretched and you are challenged to deepen your faith. You see? Isn't it, isn't it interesting? Like... As, some, as things are allowed to go on longer and longer, you know what happens? You get challenged greater and greater in your faith and trust, don't you? You're like, man, I didn't realize I had about a month's worth of faith. <laughs> it goes to day 32 and suddenly I'm in uncharted territory. But it's not uncharted because God's growing you to have greater faith to go beyond a week's worth or a month's worth of faith, and he just wants you to trust him one day at a time. Amen? We're the ones that want it to be over. We're the ones that want to put the cap on it. And he's like, no, I just want you to love me and trust me one day at a time because you know what? My grace is sufficient for you for today. Amen? And so sometimes we slide into grumbling or disputing because whatever we're going through, doesn't seem to be getting any better. It doesn't seem to have any end in sight. And now we're challenged with simply trusting God in the moment one day at a time. So maybe that's what's going on. And I share this with you as maybe like, oh, thank you, Father. Maybe you've been struggling in your walk with God lately because you're angry that he didn't fix it yet. Or you're discouraged or you're starting to doubt or you're starting to fear. And he's like, no, 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 no. I'm still, I'm still here. Trust me. Hang in there. Trust me. Maybe that's what it is. Okay? The other example I thought of is, is why we can slide into grumbling and disputing is Peter. Good old Pete. Right? In Matthew 16, Peter has a supernatural revelation come his way. Jesus says, hey, who do people say that I am? And Peter says, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus says, "Woo! that's my boy. God revealed that to you, right? Jesus himself says, God revealed that to you, Pete. A plus, brownie, gold star, right? And then Jesus, just a few verses forward, says this, Matthew 16, 21. You are a hindrance to me, for you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. Okay, remember, just two or three verses, just right before this, you are the Christ, the Son of the Living God. Woohoo! Supernatural revelation. Two seconds later, what the heck are you talking about, Jesus? You're crazy. He gets in his face. The word is rebuke. It's not just a little. Just dis- he rebu- he pulls him aside. So what are you thinking? This will never happen to you. He is like arguing. He is in Jesus face saying that Jesus is wrong. So how do you go from you are the Christ, the son of the living God to no way Jose? What are you thinking, dude? Right? And it's it's interesting because many of us have these great theological beliefs. We say what we believe. God is good. Good, not, uh, And all the time. And then the reality, God, I thought you were good. Same thing. You are the Christ, the son of the living God. What are you thinking? Never going to happen. You liar. Who's calling him a liar? And isn't that like us? We, and I'm not, I mean, take it the right way. We believe things. This God's, God is good. God is loving. God is faithful. God will provide. The Bible is God's word. It's authoritative. It's truthful. Come Monday morning. Mm. Right? And so how can we move from grumbling to disputing? When life or even things in the scriptures that we read doesn't line up with our beliefs. See, what happened with Peter in that engagement was Peter had, and he may not even been aware of it, he had some pretty strongly held beliefs about what the Messiah was going to be. The Jews believed that the Messiah was political, military conqueror, going to set the Jewish people free from Rome. That was their locked-in worldview of the Messiah. That's why when Jesus came, they were going crazy, but it didn't really make sense because he was on a donkey and not a white horse. Because a donkey meant peace when he was coming in, on, right? And some people are like, "Woo, Messiah, but dude, he's on a donkey. Where's the stallion that tells us he's a conquering Messiah? He's on a donkey. Donkey means peace. You see, Peter had some very core beliefs about what the Messiah was going to do and be. When Jesus said, hey, you know what, guys, I got to go. I'm going to be killed, but I'm going to be raised from the dead. It completely flipped his assumptions, his opinions, his traditions on their head. And that's what's going to happen to you and I. And this is why we have to be careful. As we walk with Jesus, sometimes they call it the upside down kingdom. If you want to be first, you got to be last, right? If you want to be greatest, be the servant of all right? And so you're going to follow Jesus and you're going to come across scriptures and you know what? It's going to challenge some core beliefs that you have. You're going to be challenged. And in those moments, you might pull a Peter and rear up and grumble and now start arguing with God because you think you know better. That's that's a place where we come to and we got to stop, right? Because we would say around here that we believe that God's word is authoritative. Amen. God's word is truth, right? And we affirm that. That's why, that's what we teach here, right? It's got to be God's word. And yet, if we're honest, that same authoritative truth that comes from a God we believe is good all the time Sometimes, man, oh, man, it is challenging when it just challenges what I think, what I believe, what I want, right? And and in those moments, the question is, who wins? And then our heart. And if we harden our heart, what do we do? We go back to what I said before. We start disputing, debating, doubting, because we don't want to wave the white flag. We don't want to. Surrender? We don't want to submit. And yet, why wouldn't we want to surrender and submit to God who is good and all the time? Okay, so if God is good all the time and his word is truth and good, why wouldn't we? Ah, yes, the flesh. The flesh. Right? Isaiah 55. For my thoughts are not your thoughts. Neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. So maybe, maybe for someone here or at home, if you're stuck in the loop of debate, dispute, arguing with God, okay? Isaiah 55. Maybe you gotta surrender and humble yourself. And you got to say, okay, you're God. See, in, in Job, Job kind of got, because of what he was hearing, the false stuff from his friends, he got really this place of frustration. And he said, you know what? I want to take my case to God. I want to argue with God. And then if you read the last 38, 39, 40, right, God shows up. Okay. And he asked Job 70 questions to do what? To put Job in his place. Basically, like, I'm God, you're not. Who are you to tell me? And so, for some of us, we slide into grumbling and disputing because we get kind of prideful, we get kind of full of ourselves, and we just got to go the other way and humble. You got to humble yourself, you got to surrender, you got to submit. Out of faith and trust in a good and loving God. Amen? I mean, just, I'm not saying it's easy, but I'm just saying that's just the heart issue. That's what's stirring. That's why we struggle sometimes, okay? So, we know that Philippians 2, 14 says, in all things, do all things without grumbling or disputing. And so, it's one of those without. So, but, okay, I get that. But what can we do, right? Okay, so there's the take this away, put off, but what can we do moving forward to help us not grumble, and help us not dispute. You understand what I'm saying? Okay, okay, I get it. It's commanded. I don't want that. So what should I do in place? Well, I was thinking through that. I was like, give me something to hold on to. Like, when I leave here, what can I be focusing on, right? Well, look at this. In James 5, it says this. Be patient, therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, being patient about it until it receives the early and the late rains, you also be patient. Establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Do not grumble against one another, brothers, so that you may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. So in the context here in James 5, in the beginning of the chapter, he's talking to believers who, for the most part, are financially poor, okay? They're poor. And they're being oppressed, taken advantage of, by wealthy people. So they're under suffering and persecution in the financial sense, okay? So he says, hey, in the verses that we just read, be patient. So one of the things that you and I can do, we know we're not to grumble, we're not to dispute. You know what he says? One of the, the positive things you can focus on? Patience. Because one of the root causes, again, of, of sliding into grumbling and, dis, and, dis, and disputing is what? Impatience. It's Impatience. God isn't moving. Anyone ever want to speed up God's timeline for something in your life? Like, yo, yo, little help, yo. Right? in your leg. like, impatience, just like that, impatience will slide us right into grumbling and disputing, okay? What is, what is uh, the word picture for biblical patience in the, in the Bible? It's have a long fuse. Have a long fuse versus a short fuse. Anybody here more on the short fuse end of things? (laughs) Anyone sitting next to someone who's on? Oh, we got a hand. Thank you. (laughs) So biblical patience. The word picture is have a long fuse, right? It's it's self-restraint, okay? It's the capacity to be wronged and not retaliate, self-control. It's a fruit of the Spirit. So one of the reasons you might have got caught up, honestly, in grumbling and disputing is you're just impatient. You have a short fuse. And I got to tell you, we live in a country of short fuses right now, right? I mean, people going crazy in the stores and and I'm like, whoa, short fuse, right? Okay, so if we want to be salt and light and we want to make a difference, leave here going, okay, Lord, I want a long fuse. Okay, longer right? Patience. Patience. It's really interesting. William Barclay says this, as the Greeks used it, it usually meant patience with people. It is the ability not to lose patience when people are foolish, not to grow irritable when they seem unteachable. It is the ability to accept the folly, the perversity, the blindness, the ingratitude of men, and still to remain gracious and still to toil on. How many of you recognize that requires God? <laughs> That's a fruit of the Spirit, Galatians 5, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace. Oh, yeah, come come on now. Come on. Love, joy, peace. Peace. (laughs) Kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. Okay, so it is God who works and wills in you both to do right. So if you want to be patient, God will give you the desire to be patient, and he'll empower you to be patient. The question is, do you want it? See the heart issue? Some of us like being impatient. I don't know why, but I mean, it's just a habit, it's just, right, maybe we're just are used to getting things right. So if we, if we wanna guard against grumbling and disputing, maybe patience is the issue that God wants to speak to you about. The fuse. And it's a, su- it's a supernatural fruit of the spirit. So when it's a supernatural fruit of the Spirit, let me help you how I pray when I recognize it has to be a supernatural thing. I say this, God, you know me, and you know in my own flesh there is no way I can do this. God, I'm going to need you. I'm going to need you because you say it's a fruit of the Spirit. So I'm, I'm real honest when it comes to fruit of the Spirit stuff. I just say there's no way, okay? Just be honest with him. Just be honest with him. So patience is something we can move forward in. Okay, so you place grumbling and, and disputing with patience. Okay, that's a good focus point. And then it's interesting in verse 9 it says, Do not grumble against one another, brothers. Mm. Do not grumble. And actually the word there is groan, okay, which, which talks about an inward frustration with other people. And in this case he says brothers. He's talking in the church among believers. Right? An unexpressed feeling of bitterness, resentment, you know, just, uh, just groaning. You ever groan about somebody? All right? You don't say it. And you maybe put a smile on your face, but you're like, mm. right? You're, that's what he's talking about when he's talking about grumbling. You have this inward, like, mm, right? And there's two things about this, all right? Remember, the context was they're, they're speaking about being persecuted by the wealthy and how to deal with it, being patient. One of the principles here, and this, this is specific to the church, we can't allow outer circumstances to affect our relationships. Anybody here ever have a bad day at work and you just sort of brought it home? Right? Bad day at work and spouse and kids recognize it. Right? Right? And so in the context here, what he's saying is, be patient, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. What he's saying is, hey, church, keep big picture in mind. Coming of the Lord, amen? Names written in heaven, amen? This isn't all, we're citizens of heaven, amen? So what he's saying here, be patient with one another. Don't grumble, don't let the, the fallen, broken world come in to cause grumbling in the church, amen? Very important. Very important. If you're having a bad day, a bad week, bad month, check yourself to see how it's causing you to grumble against others. And I've I've had that too. In 30 years of ministry, you know, I've, I've, I've left, not necessarily here, but other churches with a real tough Sunday. And, you know, I had to learn. I had to discipline myself. If it's been a real tough Sunday or something's going on, or even during the week, I use the drive home to decompress and if I'm not fully at the right place in my head and my heart, you know what I'll do? I'll sit in my car in my driveway until I'm ready to come into the house because my kids have no clue they don't deserve me to vent on them or my wife right so i've had to I've had to check myself and just sit outside, put change, listen to music, pray, whatever I need to do to get in the right heart and headspace so that I don't begin to vent on those who are just innocent third parties in the whole thing, right? They, they had no idea what dad's going through, right? And so we can be very aware in the church that sometimes grumbling can be caused by outer circumstances that we're bringing into relationships. Persons, they're not intentionally, you know? Sometimes people would say, oh, I can't believe so-and-so, and they've you know kind of lost perspective because they're dealing with so much on their plate, right? And sometimes I'll have to be honest and say, hey, you know what? I can be honest with you. So-and-so is not intentionally trying to ruin your life. You know, so-and-so is not intentionally trying to make you miserable. Right? Like, oh, I know. You're right. I was just, right? You ever get in these weird head spaces where so much is going on in your head that things get filtered really weird to you when someone says something and you think, oh, what do you mean by that? Oh, easy, cowboy. I mean anything. Oh, yeah, you know, and it's just like because we're in this weird fog, and we're just everything's an attack and accusation, everything's a finger pointing at me, and really the people around us are like, "I have no idea what's wrong with him. So it's us. So sometimes we need to come back, Are we being impatient? Is as our, as our fuse short for whatever reason? Right? Are we allowing circumstances from the outside to begin to cause me to grumble against people? It's not even them. It's not even them. Okay? Colossians 3 says this. Since you have been raised to new life with Christ, set your sights on the realities of heaven, where Christ sits in the place of honor at God's right hand. Think about the things of heaven, not the things of earth. For you died to this life, and your real life is hidden with Christ and God. And when Christ, who is your life, is revealed to the whole world, you will share in all his glory. You know what a practical application of this is? Turn off social media and the news because we're spending way too much time thinking of the things of the earth rather than the realities of heaven, amen? Some of us need to re- recalibrate X number of hours spent on the things of earth that are torquing me, that are getting me angry, that are getting me upset, that are causing grumbling and division and debate, da-da-da, versus the realities of heaven. <laughs> I'm gonna say it again. The realities of heaven. <laughs> you see... The early church, the, the martyrs and those who would, who would go to their death even joyfully and singing, you know why they could do that? Because their mind was fixed on where they were going. It was fixed on heaven. What has happened to the church in our culture is we don't spend as much time as we need to focusing on the things of heaven, the realities of after here. And we, like just like the rest of the world, are consumed with this stuff. And then if we're not caught, we get into grumbling and, and disputing like everyone else. If anyone should be able to rise above it and stay outside of it and see it from here, it's the church, amen? And if we do that, if we keep our mind focused on the realities of heaven rather than things of earth, you know what? I believe your grumbling and disputing is gonna go way down. And your relationships will be healed. Because your perspective changes. Your heart changes, okay? And then James 5, 10 says this. And as, as an example of suffering and patience, brothers, Take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. Behold, we consider those blessed who remain steadfast. You have heard of the steadfastness of Job, and you have seen the purpose of the Lord, how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. So we're going to close up. One final thing we can do proactively, according to these verses, is we look at Job as an example of what he calls steadfastness. There's also the synonym in some versions is endurance. Another one is perseverance. Okay? Okay. See, Job started well. He hit some rocky terrain where he kind of lost his perspective. But in the end, you know what? Job never lost his faith. In fact, at the end, he repented and said, you're right, you're God. Who am I? And God restored him. So Job, he went through it, but he was steadfast. He persevered. He endured. And for some of us, Moving forward to help with grumbling and disputing, my encouragement to you is to be steadfast, to endure, to have perseverance. Okay? And 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 what does that mean, right? How many of you have ever been in a situation, maybe like school, where you were just enduring school? Anyone? You just endure, right? So you hear the word endurance and right away you go to marathon or you go to you go to some not very pleasant experience that you just have to endure, right? Or you have to persevere through. You have this Biblical endurance is not school. And it's not, you know, a lap around PE or, you know, things that you just had to endure. I had to endure this. Another lecture from my parents. I got to endure this, right? No. When it talks about endurance, perseverance, steadfastness, it means cheerful and joyful endurance it means you and i okay whatever waits for us outside these doors for as long as we're on this planet we can come with the heart of joy and confidence cuz god is in control that's what we do. that's what it means so you can if you want you know if you like letters and you know, also there's you can have patience and you can have perseverance but it's joyful confident perseverance Because of who you are in Christ, amen? Right? That's what it is. It's not, okay, it's not a grim resignation or a passive grin and bear it. See, a lot of Christians have this grin and bear it. I just got to pick up my cross for Jesus. And I got to carry my cross for Jesus until I get to the pearly gates. No, 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 no. That's defeatist. We are called to persevere, to endure, to be steadfast in victory and with joy and strength. Amen? We don't grin and bear it. We run the race to win. You gotta, if you're in the grin and bear it mode, you're you're this far away from grumbling and disputing. That is not what he's talking about. He is talking about moving forward and persevering because you know victory is ours. You know we're on the winning team. Okay, the realities of heaven. Romans eight twenty eight. We know that for those who love God, all things work together for what? For those who are called according to his purpose. All things work together for? Okay, is that grin and bear it or is that victory? Do you understand what I'm saying? If you're going through something right now, you might have come in here with grin and bear it. And now Romans eight twenty eight says, What you're going through right now is going to work for the good. That's victorious endurance. Amen? You see the difference? Some of believers, you're in grin and bear it mode. And God says, you know what? I'm in work all things for the good mode. So hang in there. Persevere. Don't quit. God's working it all for the good. Endure it. Persevere through it, Right? Barclay says this. The word is hupomone. It says, Hupomone does not describe the patience which simply passively submits to the tide of events. It describes the spirit of courage and conquest, which leads to gallantry and transmutes even suffering into glory. It means we kind of walk around as believers like, give me your best. I'm still standing. We're not grinning barrets. We're all things work for the good, it's. Amen? In fact, in Romans 8:35 to 39, we're more than conquerors. Nothing will separate us from the love of God, and he says, "You're more than conquerors. See, if, if, I, if I know that God works all things for the good, and if I know nothing will separate me for His love, and if I'm told that I'm more than a conqueror, I can endure it. If your name is written in the book of life, you can endure it. Huh? Not grin and bear it. And again, going back to this is what the world will see. Man, I don't know how you're dealing with that, bro, but you got this peace. I see this kind of confidence in you. I don't, if I were going through it, I don't know, but how are you doing that? Well, let me tell you. See, it's how we process what the rest of the world is going through because we all live in a fallen world, but we stand out because we're not just grinning and bearing it. We stand out because we have biblical perseverance. We stand out because we have confidence in our ultimate victory. Amen? This is, again, the supernatural witness that the world will notice. Because right now, this country and this world is just full of a bunch of people without Jesus who have no hope and are just grinning and bearing it and they're getting more and more torque because they have no control over the latest decision, latest government, and they're just grinning and bearing it. Well, we got Jesus. Our name is written in the book of life. We got all of God's promises. Okay? So for some of you, the word endurance, let me, let me maybe this will help you. Maybe you need to shift to victorious cheerful endurance rather than explanations because some of us want explanations of everything going on we want to know why 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 no we know God's promises we don't we're not always going to know all the explanations but we can still endure because of who we are in Christ amen So some of us are like, why is this happening? And what's going to happen? And you want explanations and explanations and more explanations. And God this morning is like, no, let go of explanations and now biblically endure. Endure in triumph. Endure in joy. Endure in peace. Let go of trying to figure it all out, all the explanations. Turn your brain off a little bit and quit focusing on the things of the world and fallen man running a fallen planet And focus on the realities of heaven. Move from explanations, explanations, explanations to the truth of God's word and who you are in Christ. Amen? You'll be set free. There is so much freedom here. Okay, and so I just just want to encourage us. Just encourage us. I know it's a lot, but this is such a relevant issue for what's going on, this grumbling and disputing. And quite honestly, the church has gotten sucked right into it. It's affected your relationship with God. And unfortunately, it's affected our relationships in the church. And, you know, there's a lot in here. And I'm just praying, listen to it again if you need to. Because I believe God wants to set you free. And maybe the enemy has got you spun up for maybe the last two years. Or however long, even Right? Oh, I just can't wait for the pandemic to be over. What if it's never over? See, that's that artificial timeline. And God's like, no, my grace is sufficient. See, if we live in my grace is sufficient for you today, there's freedom enjoying that. Amen? We just live right now. We don't know. And I gotta tell you, my one of my challenges is I gotta know. I like I don't like surprises. I like to be prepared. I like, right? I don't like surprises for my family, for my wife, for my kids. I don't like surprises. But God has not, I'm not, you know, in his text loop where he's going to tell me what he's going to do. I'm like you. I got to learn to trust one day at a time, one moment at a time. And I have found the more I turn off my brain and the more I trust, the more joy I have. Because I'm not carrying the weight of the world anymore. I'm trusting him as my father who is in charge of the world. (laughs) Okay? And so our example as we prepare for communion in terms of endurance and running with endurance. Of course, it's Jesus. Hebrews 12. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance, perseverance, steadfastness, the race that is set before us. Looking to Jesus It was painful, it was agonizing, but he was moving forward in victory. And that's what we can do. We can live however many days left on this planet looking at the joy set before us. Amen? This isn't all there is. This isn't all there is. I give you permission, cheat. Look at the last, look at the end of the book. Look at the end of the book. We win. We win and there's a new heaven and a new earth. So we can endure victoriously, cheerfully, joyfully for the joy set before us. We can endure today. We can love today. We, can, we cannot grumble and dispute today. We don't have to get caught up in it today because of the joy set before us one day when God makes it all good and there's a new heaven and then there's a new earth. Amen? So Father, thank you. Thank you. And as we prepare for communion, I just want to um, give us a moment to process. I know it's a lot. There's so much going on. Help us just to look at Jesus, who for the joy before him endured the cross. Father, remind us of the joy before us. Father, we confess our grumbling. We confess our disputing, our arguing with you. We confess the times when we think we know better or we deserve better. We confess and we ask your forgiveness. And Father, now as only you can do, I pray you'd speak to my brothers and sisters here and listening online. You know us. You know what triggers us into grumbling and disputing. So I'll trust you to speak truth and to continue the sanctification process in all of us. We need you. We need you to change our desires. We need you to empower us so that we can be lights in this world, especially today that don't grumble or dispute, but rather are thermostats that change the temperature of our homes, that change the temperature of our workplaces, that impact the temperature of our relationships because we choose not to grumble or or dispute, but rather to speak truth in love and compassion, to bring joy and God's word and God's truth into various situations. We just want to be godly, biblical thermostats for you.
0: Good morning. Um, so you may remember that uh, back in September, um, we had an invitation to join the Walk of Compassion with the Pregnancy Clinic here in Ojai. Um, and I don't know that all of our congregation knows much about the ministry here in Ojai um, through the Pregnancy Clinic and what they do. So... Um, we have been given a special invitation on February 12th, um, a couple Saturdays away, at 10 a.m. to um, go and learn more about um, what the pregnancy clinic does in our own community. We can take a tour of the facility. They have an ultrasound machine. They have a room full of clothing for families and babies, um, diapers. They have all kinds of supplies to come alongside women and their families um, and to learn how to be better equipped to pray um, for the women and the families in our community. Um, We're going to have coffee and donuts. Um, We're going to walk around, learn more. And I just wanted to read a short um, part from their most recent newsletter, Um, and anyone can sign up to get on their mailing list for the newsletter. Um, Just a reminder of what they do and and why we want to come alongside them. Um, In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things came to be through him. And this, and without him, nothing came to be. What came to be through him was life, and this life was the light of the human race. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. It's from John 1 through 5. Life Choices was founded 42 years ago in 1980 as a Christian-based clinic. Today, Life Choices is proud to partner with 12 Christian organizations, which include churches, schools, and service groups of all denominations. The mission of Life Choices is to honor God by promoting the innate value of each human life. In so doing, we are a light that shines in the darkness in a culture of death. However, darkness has not overcome us, and we shine brightly. And it lists some of the things they do, which um, we'll find out when we go. So we'd love to see you there. Please, please join us if you're able. Um, Again, February 12th at 10 a.m., And um, what's the address on the slide? Okay, great. Thank you.
1: Good morning. I wanted to just give you an update on women's ministry, things that are happening. Um, So for the Bible studies, there's... um, an old one that stopped that's starting. <laughs> so so Monday mornings, ten A. M. Uh, february seventh, there'll be a Uh, more of a social get-together. And then on February 14th, this is uh, Monday mornings, 10 a.m. here, they will be starting a study uh, based on a book, um, Learning to Live and Love Like Jesus. So that's Monday mornings, if you'd like to join that. So the other ones that are continuing or that are coming up are Monday evenings, beginning... Um, February 7th, <laughs> uh, Thursday evenings beginning February 3rd, which is this week, right? It's always, almost February, 6.30. And the Tuesdays at 2 on Zoom uh, are continuing with studying Ezra and Nehemiah. So these are all online. Please check them for more details. Get a hold of me. Or if you know uh, other women in these studies, just let us know and, and we'll let you know the the More details, where, when, how long, uh, anything else that you'd like to know about it. Just one other thing is the uh, book club is coming up February 19th, Gentle and Lowly by Dane Ortlund. Um, Get the book, read it. It's great. Uh, It's a really good book. um, And that's February 19th, 10 a.m. here at the well. And I just do want to say that, you know, women have a unique role of um, connecting with each other and encouraging one another. So this these are just opportunities to do that. And that we will be planning, we're kind of planning more events, uh, informal events, maybe even bringing back the workshops again this summer. So if you'd like to be involved with that, please let me know or Katie Walker know that you'd like to kind of just come alongside and, and help us in some way. If you'd like to do that, we'd love to have you be part of that. Thanks.
2: Thank you, Kathy. Boy, guys, don't, isn't, aren't you a little jealous? Like really, I mean, just listen to all these things that these ladies do. It's awesome. I mean, just the, the leadership and so cool. So um, thank you for that, Kathy. So I just want to remind everybody that uh, the contribution statements, they'll be available in person up here after service today, I think maybe for the last week. If you want to get it by email, uh, there's the information up there. You can just email us and we'll send it to you as well.